I'm going to get you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at the first 23 verses of that chapter here in just a few minutes. About seven years ago, next month, I came to Mount Pleasant for the very first time, and, and I was introduced to you. You were introduced to me, and that was a great time. I remember that very well. And one of the very first things that uh, you guys did is uh, we had like a gathering on a Saturday morning uh, in the Kakar gym, and uh, there were some questions that were answer, you know, asked, whatever, there's a lot of different questions. And I remember quite a few of those questions. Some of you who were here that day may remember some of those questions well, but there was one in particular question that as long as I live, I'll never, ever forget this question. One gentleman got up and he said, well, brother, I just got one question for you. Do you like grits? <laughs> said, well, I sure do. I, I, I'm a grits connoisseur. I love grits. And uh, that's my kind of question uh, for those kinds of things. And so today, uh, when we're looking at today's passage of Scripture, we're going to be looking at gospel grit. Now, it's not those kind of grits that we're talking about. It's a different kind of grit. It's more in line with like the movie that was out years ago called True Grit, where grit is a perseverance. It is a stick a resolve to press on or endurance. You see, we need to hear about gospel grit today. We're looking at be the church. And presently, as we're going through the book of Acts, we're looking at be courageous church. And beloved, we're living in a day when there are people who had said they were believers who are now renouncing their faith we're living in a day where those who claim to be followers of Christ who are dropping out completely, we're living in a day where there are some pastors who are calling it quits and moving out of the ministry, we need to be reminded of the early church and their gospel grit. Y'all with me this morning? As we think about uh, as we come to this passage of Scripture, we're going to be looking at the missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, the apostles, and see how they're engaging the culture with the gospel, which is meeting people where they are and pointing them to Jesus. And as we see that, especially as this chapter, and, men, and some other chapters we'll come to as well, but this chapter today, we want to see what it was that they endured, and that as they endured those things, that they never lost sight of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that they pressed on with that message. And so today, we're going to see the tactics that are used against disciples to knock us down, to knock us out, but also see in the scripture what it is that keeps us going, and to see the gospel grit of Paul and Barnabas, and may, may God also make us to be people with gospel grit. Amen? That's my, that's my prayer for us, that as we walk out into this world, as we live in this culture, that we'll be people with gospel grit. What does that look like? Well, let's see here in a minute. Let's look in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 23, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage for us this morning. 23 verses, great story as we see it unfold. Now at Iconium, they, that's Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it. They fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance of the city. He brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways and yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. And we pray, Lord, now that we'll take this passage of scripture, that you would take it in our hearts and apply it to our lives. And Lord, that you would make us to be people in this culture with gospel grit. Lord, I pray, Father, that we'd be people who will press on in this world who will keep at it, Lord, who will be persevering and enduring whatever we face in this world as the church, being courageous as the church with this gospel grit. Lord, show us how. Reveal it by your spirit through your word. And we pray that you'd have your way in us. And we pray for those who may not know you that this will be the hour of salvation. For those of us who do, Lord, strengthen and guide us. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May you have your way in every heart and life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we've got three points to this message today, if you're following along, and I hope you will take notes. And then at the end, there's three to-dos, and a little different today, I have a passage of Scripture with each one of those to-dos that correlates with the application point to-do as we get there. But the first thing we want to see here is we think about some of the tactics that are used against disciples and then what it is that we need to understand about having gospel grit. We see first off that the, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, endured poison provokers. Poison provokers. Now, if you remember the background where we left off last week in chapter 13, you remember that they, the church at Antioch as sending out Paul and Barnabas on what's known as the first missionary journey. And what we find is, is that uh, Paul and Barnabas went from Cyprus to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, this is a different Antioch than the church of Antioch that's sending out 
Paul and Barnabas. This is a different place, Antioch of Pisidia. And when they get there, Paul and Barnabas preach the gospel. If you follow through chapter 13, when they get there, they preach the gospel. And the Bible tells us that almost the whole city gathered to hear them. Well, when that happened, of course, the, the Jews became jealous and they began to contradict Paul and Barnabas. And so then Paul and Barnabas shifted and they began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Bible tells us that many of the Gentiles believed. And when that took place, the unbelieving Jews incited people against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of the city of Pisidia, uh, of Antioch of Pisidia. And so the Bible says that they uh, shook off the dust from the feet and they went to Iconium. And that's where we pick up today, where it tells us there in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14, now at Iconium, they, Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They're preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. There are many who believed, but those who did not believe in Jesus were poison provokers. The Bible tells us here that they were stirring up people against Paul and Barnabas, poisoning the minds of the people. Now, what is that poison? It's, it's causing people to think evil of Paul and Barnabas and what they were preaching and teaching. So this poison that these unbelieving Jews are stirring up among the people is they were scheming, they were conniving, they were making remarks to campaign against them and what they're preaching because these unbelieving Jews, these unbelievers were provoking others with this poison of hatred and poison of lies and the poison of what's known as salvation by works because these Jews were clinging to the belief that in order to be righteous, you must keep all the law and the tradition. And so it was truly poison because they were pushing, what they were pushing would lead to death. But that's not what Paul and Barnabas were advocating. And so these folks poisoning the minds. And then we see further in verses four and five, that not only were they poisoned minds, but then began to plot uh, more devious things as well. Look at verses four and five. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. So that's what we see here, is that not only were these poison provokers willing to poison people with their lies, but they were also willing to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and, and the disciples and even kill them. So they're poison provokers, the people who hated what these disciples were doing and these poison provokers would not stop at trying to shut them up and to shut them down. And that's what we see is against Paul and Barnabas. But here's what I want you to see today is that Paul and Barnabas had what I'm calling today gospel grit. They have this gospel grit. Look at verse 33. So the unbelieving Jews, they're stirring up the Gentiles, the poison of the minds. And then what do we find in verse three? So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace. So the Bible tells us that while they're enduring, these people who are spewing this poisonous rhetoric, the Bible says, they didn't get up and leave. They remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. They're telling others about Jesus. Beloved, that's what I call gospel grit. Come on, somebody say amen, right? That's what it is. 
And it's only when they learned of the plot to stone them that they fled to Lystra and to Derby. Look at what it says in verse 6. So they found out that the people wanted to mistreat them to stone them. They learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And so we, we hear that and you say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. But Pastor, you're talking about gospel grit and here they are. They hear about they're going to be stoned. They hear about this plot against them. And so they're taken off and they're running down the road uh, to Lystra to get away. They're fleeing. So Pastor, really, that doesn't sound very grit-like to me. Well, I would say this to you. First off, God calls us to be courageous, not foolish. Y'all with me? God calls us to be courageous, not foolish. So because Paul and Barnabas heard, God allowed them to understand what was taking place. They, because they left, they lived to preach another day. Amen? Secondly, what I want you to see here about this fleeing to Lystra is that when they went to Lystra, understand that Lystra was a place like what we would known as the old wild west. It was a hard, very difficult place to be. So for them to leave Iconium and to go to Lystra, it was like jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. But notice also what they're doing as they're going. So they hear what's taking place and they do, they're not quitting preaching the gospel. They're not quitting telling people about Jesus. No, when you look at verse 7, they've heard the people want to mistreat them. They've heard the people want to stone them. You come to verse 7 and there in Lystra, they continued to what? To preach the gospel. Amen? They continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that while these unbelievers that were spewing this poison against them and have these plots against them, while these unbelievers were fueled by their own hatred of the truth, Paul and Barnabas were fueled by grace. They were fueled by grace. You see, friends, everything that moves, everything that's active needs fuel. Would you agree with that? Everything needs fuel. I remember this very clearly yesterday. I was mowing my grass and I got through the whole thing and finished up that last little swipe and I came up around the corner and it started to putter. I thought, oh no, I've got to put gas in it before I get it to the garage. I mean, how sad that was, right? But I was reminded everything needs fuel. I mean, that's the truth about anything that's active and moves forward. Everything needs fuel, whether that's a lawnmower, whether that's a car, whether it's something that uses gas or whether it uses electricity or batteries of food. These are fuel to keep things moving forward. For the disciple, what is it that keeps us moving forward in the midst of the hostility? We see it here. Paul and Barnabas are fueled by grace. That's what keeps them moving forward. They're fueled by grace. And we see that again in verse 3. So they, they have this unbelieving Jews stirring up the Gentiles, poison the minds, and, so they, and they're telling people they need to be saved by their works, causing this hatred and, and lies. And so they remain, verse 3, so they, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. You see, this message of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, is what we know that was fueling Paul and Barnabas. Even Paul wrote about this grace in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for it's by grace 
you have been saved. Beloved, hear me now. Paul and Barnabas knew firsthand the grace of God through Jesus Christ, amen? And that grace of Jesus Christ is what fueled them to be able to keep moving forward in the midst of such hostility. They knew firsthand the grace of God. And you wanna know something? If you're a child of God, been born again by the blood of Jesus, you also know the grace of God, amen? You know that grace. And this is what fueled the gospel grit of Paul and Barnabas. They kept preaching the gospel, even though people had hated them and wanted them to be quiet and wanted them to just disappear off the scene. Why is it that they uh, kept on going? It's because they had experienced the gospel of grace personally, and they also knew others needed to experience that same grace as well. Those unbelievers, those poison provokers, they were pushing this hatred and had that poison of lies and salvation by works. And so what we know that Paul and Barnabas knew that the antidote for that poison is the antidote that the world still needs to hear today and know about today. And that antidote is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the antidote that the world needs. And so as a disciple of Jesus, as born again believers in Jesus Christ, as you're engaging the culture with the gospel and you're meeting people where they are and you're pointing people to Jesus, I'm here to tell you that as you point people to Jesus and tell them about Jesus, there will be people who will believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There will be people who will embrace what you tell them and they will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Hallelujah, amen. But I also want you to know there will also be those who when you tell people about Jesus, there'll be people who will talk about you, who will lie about you, who will mistreat you, who will try to destroy you and your testimony, and they will poison the minds of others about you because they don't want you messing with their lifestyle, with their belief and their tradition. But beloved, when that happens, as you meet people where they are and point them to Jesus, don't quit, don't give up. You have the gospel grit that's fueled by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Keep pressing on because of the grace of God and what he's done in your life. The grace that you've experienced and the grace that you must share. The world needs the antidote. The world needs Jesus. God, make us to be people with gospel grit fueled by grace when encountering poison provokers. And then here's the second one. And God, give us gospel grit when we come across polytheistic pleasers. Now, I know that's a big word, but I have confidence in you. I think you can handle it, all right? Polytheistic pleasers. We come to this next part of the passage of Scripture, and what we find here is that Paul and Barnabas come into this hard territory of Lystra and, and God uses them to bring about a miraculous healing. Remember that there, starting in verse six. And we see that there's a crippled man from birth who was healed and as Paul speaks to him and he springs up, he said, the Bible says, and he begins to walk. And when that happens, you see in that passage, it causes quite a commotion in the, steer, in the city. And so the people are polytheistic, meaning that the people of Lystra, these people, Lyconian people, they believed in more than one God. And we know that because it tells us here that they believed in Zeus, they believed in Hermes, so they believed in these mystical gods. And when this miracle takes place, the Bible tells us here that they think the gods have come down and that Paul and Barnabas are part of those gods. Look at verses 12 and 13. 
Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he's the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and he wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so what we see here, that in their eyes, the people there, the Laconian people, Paul and Barnabas, had done something miraculous, and so therefore they must be the gods. And as gods then, they felt like Paul and Barnabas, these guys that they thought are gods, they need to be worshipped. So Paul and Barnabas had, didn't understand what these people were saying because they were speaking, the Bible says, in the Lyconian language. But then it seems that when these Lyconians uh, bring out the oxen for the sacrifice and the priest brings out the garlands come out, then Paul and Barnabas, they, they quickly know what's going on, that they think they're gods and they're getting ready to worship to them. And so... At this point, there are two dangers I see with these polytheistic pleasers that Paul and Barnabas are facing. Here's the first one. At this moment, in this split second, they could decide to enjoy the exaltation even if but for a few minutes or for a day or two. That's a danger. And just think about this with me, if you will. Here's Paul and Barnabas. These are normal guys, just like us. Okay, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, saved by grace. But man, they have been through a tough time, right? I mean, these guys, they've been run out of Antioch of Pisidia. If that weren't enough, they went to Iconium. They had people in spewing poisonous hatred against them, stirring up the crowds against them. And then there's an attempt to stone them at Iconium. And now they come into this city and they, the Lord uses them to perform this miracle and people start coming out to them and they're not trying to run them off. They're trying to exalt them. They're thinking, you know, maybe, you know, Paul and Barnabas, maybe the danger here would have been to think, you know, it's about time we get some respect. It's, it's, it's finally somebody appreciates me, appreciates us. And if we milk this, I mean, sleeping on the dirt's been tough for the past few days, but if we milk this, we might be able to sleep in a nice bed tonight and maybe even have a great banquet. And then, once we enjoy that for some time and some of these benefits for a while, then we'll tell them about Jesus. Somebody might say, well, come on, Pastor. I mean, what have been in harm in that? They still gonna tell them about Jesus. Couldn't they have enjoyed some of this extra? And, and I would say, well, here's the problem with that. The problem is this. Glory should never be attributed to man. Never. Because only God is worthy of worship. Amen? Only God's worthy of worship. You know, Herod learned that the hard way. Back in Acts chapter 12, at the end of that chapter, he set himself up with fine robes. You remember this? And fancy throne, had eloquent speech. And then the latter part of that chapter, verse 22 and 23, it says, the people were shouting the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because the Bible says he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And so, Beloved, hear me this morning. Here's the danger as we face in our culture today. There will be times when we serve and we work and we help in the community and people will come to us and they will exalt us and they will lift us up and they'll magnify us. And the temptation is to just enjoy that and to receive that and to sit on that exaltation for a while. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody needs to be encouraged every once in a while. However... The more we delight, and here's the key point, 
the more we delight in those accolades and the more we delight in those attaboys, the more we seek them and the more we desire them and the more we require them. And as we require those accolades and those exaltations of us, then our attention is turned away from the one who is the one true living God and we place ourselves on the throne that God himself deserves. Amen? That's a danger. And if that's what we do, then we become just like those people, these polytheistic pleasers, people who are seeking to please the other gods in our life, ourselves being one of those gods. There's another danger here we see in this passage of Scripture with these polytheistic pleasers that Paul and Barnabas face, and that's this. As these people come out with their oxen and they come out with their garlands, and it becomes clear to them that they have the gods of Zeus and Hermes that they're, that they're uh, worshiping, that Paul and Barnabas, there's a danger here that they could have just let these people have their gods, but just add Jesus. Not instead of, but just add him too. There's a danger there. And beloved, as we think about that, that they, they, this is what we think there's a danger that they could have done, that they could have just let them keep their gods, but add Jesus. Hear me now. This is exactly where we are as a culture today. This is where we are. That there are people all around us who want to have their own gods, but still have their Jesus too. I still want all my gods, but I want Jesus too. Their Jesus so what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, there are people who today who have gods of convenience and comfort. There are people today who have gods of popularity and pleasure, people who have their gods of hobbies and habits, people who have their gods of politics and power, people who have their gods of tradition and traits, people who have their gods of sexuality and social media, people who have their gods of platforms and personal agendas. And we live in a culture today where people have those gods that they don't want to let go of, but they just want to add their Jesus to it. And I say their Jesus because their Jesus is a Jesus who doesn't get offended at their idolatry. It's their Jesus who is just a custom, not the Christ. It's their Jesus who's a tradition, not the truth. It's their Jesus who is simply a security blanket, not the sovereign king. It's their Jesus who is a waiter, not the one to be worshipped. It's their Jesus who is just church life, not the chief shepherd. It's their Jesus who is an overlooker of sin instead of the perfect Lamb of God who takes away sin. So here's what I want you to see, friends, that in the face of this type of culture today where there's the danger of allowing ourselves to be treated as a God and seeking that in our own life or allowing people to think that they simply just can add Jesus to all the rest of their gods, look at Paul and Barnabas and how they handle that. Paul and Barnabas had gospel grit. And the gospel grit that we see here is that they were not focused on themselves. They were not focused on the things of this world, but they were focused on Jesus. Amen? They're focused on Jesus. Look at verses 14 and 15. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, they heard of, of what they're doing, they tore their clothes. They rushed into the crowd and they cried out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. 
Paul and Barnabas have gospel grit. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. They weren't looking for glory. They knew who they were. They're just men, just like everybody else here. In verse 15, also he talks about, you turn, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things and to a living God. He, they're saying, look, it wasn't about the things of this world. It, it's these all things of the world. These are dead idols with dead ends. Our God is the living God. And so the message we have is good news. It's the gospel. So Paul knew this firsthand that he is focused on Jesus. We see that here. We see that also in his other writings as well as he wrote to the church there in Philippians chapter three, verse seven through 10. We see that it wasn't about the things of this world. When he writes these words, he says, but whatever gain I had, it's not about the things of this world. Whatever gain I had, he said, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteous from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So beloved, we hear this to be focused on Jesus. May we have gospel grit. Listen now, as we deal with the culture that's overwhelmingly polytheistic pleasers and have gospel grit as disciples, as the church, that our focus is not on me and what I can gain, but our focus is always on Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's what we have is the gospel grit we see in this passage. God, make us to be people with gospel grit. Have gospel grit by keeping the focus on Jesus. The Jesus who's the son of God. Jesus who's the savior. Jesus who's the master. Jesus who's the Lord. Jesus who is the king. Make us to be people with that kind of gospel grit. Fueled by grace when encountering poison, provokers, and People with gospel grit who are focused on Jesus when we come across polytheistic pleasers. And then the third one is when we face past pounders. I know you love my points today, I can tell. <laughs> past pounders. So what are you talking about here? All right, well, let's take a look. All right, so if you come into the end of this section, verse 18, and we see that these people here, they are uh, bringing these oxen and bringing these garland and Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're trying to, to fight against or to step against them who bring it, you're seeing them as gods. And he says in verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. And then verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, isn't that quite the change that took place? The people who just were making him out to be a God now have been persuaded to stone him and drag him out of the city. What caused that? Well, what we see here is that there were some people from Paul and Barnabas' past journey that came to where they were. And as they came to where they were, they wanted Paul and Barnabas quiet. They want this over. They want this talk of grace to be done with. They wanted the explanation of forgiveness 
to end. They wanted this pointing to Jesus to be permanently eliminated. And so these past provokers had persuaded the crowds. They went, they found Paul, and they pounded him with stones until it looked like he was dead. And when it looked like he was dead, they then dragged his body out of the city. They wiped their hands and they left him there and went back into the city. Paul was bloody and he was beaten and apparently it looked like he was depleted of all life. And these pounders were happy because they didn't want to see or hear from him anymore. These pounders from the past cities just would not let their hatred of him go and the message just keep going. So they wanted Paul to be unusable. They wanted him to be ineffective and they wanted him to be powerless. But Paul and Barnabas had gospel grit. And we see that they forged ahead in faith. Y'all with me this morning? He forged ahead. Paul forged ahead in faith. So what are you talking? Hey, let's look at this. Okay, they just stoned the man. They drug him out of the city, leaving him for dead. Look at verse 20. You ain't gonna believe this. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. He went back into the same city where the people were who had just stoned him. Beaten, bloody, goes back into the city. He goes back in the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And I'll, let me just pause there for a minute. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Paul, been beaten, stoned to death, left for dead. Now he gets up, goes back into the city. I mean, can you imagine the sight? Paul going back into the city. What a testimony. Amen? Beloved, that's what I call gospel grit. Gospel grit. All right, let's look at the next two verses, 21 22. So when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, watch this. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What are you talking about, pastor? Here's what he did. The people who came from those cities, who came to this place to pound him with stones, he gets up, goes back into the city, and now he goes back out to those same cities where those people came from to encourage the church that's already established and to preach the gospel, to tell them, look, it's through much tribulation. You're going, look, I'm an example, he says. There's through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Beloved, I'm telling you, that's what I call gospel grit, amen? Keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. And so we look at that and we say, okay, well, Past pounders, people from my past who want to stone me. Pastor, honestly, I don't think I got anybody like that in my history who wants to kill me from my past. Well, I'm saying, look, as we face past pounders, we need to forge ahead in faith. You say, I don't have any past pounders. Well, that's great. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. If you do, I'd like to know all about that. That'd be a story I'm sure I'd like to hear. But here's the truth. The reality for the disciple is that indeed there is one, there is one who wants to pound you from your past. 
It's our enemy, the devil. And he loves to pound you about your past. He loves to remind you of your old life of sin. And he loves to remind you about where you came from. And so he causes us to want to beat ourselves up over and over and over again, to pound ourselves over and over again. Because that enemy, he wants you to be quiet about your faith. He wants you to be unusable and ineffective and powerless. And beloved, as we seek to engage the culture and with the gospel, we hear what the devil says to us sometimes. We say, I, I, I can't tell people about Jesus. I mean, I've got a terrible past. I, I can't, I'm no good. Who am I that I tell people about Jesus? And when you get to that place, I'm telling you, have gospel grit and you forge ahead in faith because let me tell you who you are. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ who has been saved and forgiven of your sin, who has been born again, who's been washed by the blood, who's been rescued and ransomed and redeemed. And the old life is gone and now you're a new creature in Christ. So you forge ahead in faith for the glory of God, amen? Have gospel grit, forge ahead in faith until God is finished with you. And at this point, as we look at this passage of scripture, evidently the Lord was not finished with Paul, right? I mean, in all, by all accounts, he should have died. But the Lord was not finished with him. And you know what? As I look around this room today, yep, y'all all still living, so the Lord ain't finished with you either, right? We press on. Paul says this in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it known, make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, beloved, as we face a hostile culture, as we face difficult times, we face people unfriending us on Facebook, have mercy. <laughs> Let me tell you what, it is not time to give up. And it is not time to be silent. It is not time to let yourself or anyone else tell you that you're unusable or ineffective or powerless. But as a child of God who's forgiven of sin, who's living by faith and looking for that day when we'll see Jesus, press on and keep pointing people to Jesus Christ. Amen. Keep on. Keep on. So God make us to be people with gospel grit who are fueled by grace, focused on Jesus, and are forging ahead in faith until God's finished with us. So there's three to-dos. All right, three to-dos. And like I said, I've got a scripture with each one of those. So here's the first one. Know your why. Know your why. So we look at Paul and Barnabas, and we have to ask ourselves as we read the account of what takes place and we see them getting up and going back into the city, see them continuing in the midst of hostility to keep on pressing on and the people who are trying to make them gods but being faithful to Jesus. What's the why? Why? Why did they do that? Why did they keep preaching the gospel? Why did they keep pointing people to Jesus? Why did they keep enduring hostility? And it's because, here's why, because they knew firsthand the grace of God. They knew the grace of God in their own lives. They had gospel grit because they'd been changed by the gospel of Jesus. And if you know the Lord Jesus as your savior, you also have been changed by the gospel, amen? 
In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we know that Paul knew of this, the why here of the grace of God, as we do as well. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All our sin has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. He took the penalty that we deserved. We don't deserve his, his love. We don't deserve his grace, but by his grace, he has saved us. Amen? And that's the why that keeps us moving forward. This is why we endure poison provokers. This is why we don't let polytheistic pleasers persuade us. And this is why we don't let our past pound us. Because we are fueled by grace. We keep moving forward because of the grace of God and what he's done in our lives. All right? Know your why. Secondly, know your how. Okay, we can figure out the why. We know the what, that they're preaching the gospel. And we, know, we can figure out the why because they've been saved by God's grace. But come on, pastor. How? How in the world does Paul get up and go back into the same city of the people who just pounded him? How in the world do they go back to those cities? They know there's going to be opposition when they go there. How do they do that? How do they keep preaching? How do they keep pointing people to Jesus? How do they endure hostility? Well, if you move to the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter three, you see the how. In that passage of scripture, verse 10 and 11, Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then watch this, what he says in verse 11. He says, you followed my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. That's what we're talking about in this passage today. And notice what he says. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. And if you go one more chapter over in chapter four of Second Timothy, verse 17, we read these words that Paul says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So if you wanna know how Paul got up and went back into the city and he and Barnabas kept going back to those places that were facing opposition. Here's the how. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who strengthened them. And beloved, I'm telling you, he's the one who strengthens you. He's the how. He's the why and he's the how. He's the what? The gospel of Jesus. To have gospel grit. So know the why, know the how, and then thirdly, know your when. Know your when. So you hear us talking about, hey, we need to meet people where they are, point them to Jesus. We say that all the time. Everything we do here, we want to meet people where they are, point them to Jesus. And I don't know, maybe in your mind you're thinking, okay, that's a great thing, and we definitely need to do that. But you know what, Pastor? I'm all in with that, but I'm not all in yet. I'm going to wait until I finish with my school. Then I'm all in. Or I'm going to wait until I have kids. And then I'm all in because I want them to understand that too. Or I'm going to wait until my kids get out of school. And then I'm all in because I got more time. Or wait, I'm going to wait until I get a better job. And then I'm all in. I can put more into it. Or maybe at that point we think, well, maybe I'll just wait until I'll retire. No, beloved. Hear me. Here's the win. Know your win. Your win is this. Your win is now. 
God is not finished with you. So you continue to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus now. Don't wait for something. You go now. Philippians 1, 20 and 21, we see that Paul says this to the church at Philippi. He says, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So whatever I face today, whatever's going on before me today, whatever's happening today in the now, I'm going to, to, to live is Christ. I'm going to point people to Jesus. So beloved, now's the time to forge ahead in faith with this gospel grip because God is not finished with you yet. He wants to use you in the now. Amen? I love the story. Some of you know that I'm a... I love presidential history and I'm a trivia buff. Uh, I don't get to read some of that stuff like I like to, but there's a story that's told about President Andrew Jackson's boyhood friends who just couldn't understand how President Jackson had become a famous general and then the president of the United States because they knew of other men who had greater talent, but who'd never succeeded. And so one of Andrew Jackson's friends said, why, you know, Oh, Jim Brown, he lived right down the pike from Jackson. He was not only smarter, but he could throw Andy three times out of four in a wrestling match. But I just look at where Andy is now. And then another friend responded, well, now, how did there happen to be a fourth time? I mean, didn't they usually say three times and you're out? And the friend said, well, sure. They were supposed to, but not Andy. He would never admit that he was beat. And Jim Brown would get tired. And then on that fourth try, Andrew Jackson would throw him and he'd be the winner. Well, picking up on that idea, somebody has said, the thing that counts is not how many times you are thrown, but, but whether you are willing to stay thrown. Come on now. And beloved, let me tell you something. As disciples, we're going to get thrown but we don't have to stay throwed, amen? We get up and we move forward in faith. We must take courage and go forward in faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, gospel grit is fueled by grace, focuses on Jesus and forges ahead in faith. All God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, may you have your way in us and may we be people with gospel grit. God, help us in the midst of this culture to lovingly, graciously, faithfully have gospel grit in our community. Lord, help us to be people who are fueled by your grace, who are always focused on Jesus, and who will forge ahead in faith. God, thank you for what you've done in our lives, how you've given us hope, how you've given us freedom. You've forgiven us of our sin. We know our future is secure. We have the assurance of heaven. So Lord, help us to be people with gospel grit. Lord, I pray that our church will be a church that's a courageous church that lovingly, graciously, faithfully points people to Jesus. God, I pray that you'd have your way in each of us as we come to this time of invitation. Those who may need to just commit their lives to you or recommit their lives to you, 
or ask for prayer for whatever's on their hearts and minds today, praying silently here at the altar or taking a pastor by the hand. I just pray, Lord, you'd be with us to be the people of God you called us to be. Not for our glory, but for yours. For you alone are worthy of praise and worship. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing together. You come as God's dealt with your heart.